Hey guys, this is Kevin Estello of Fieldcraft Survival. I'm your host for this ad space right before the podcast. And I just want to take a couple minutes of your time to uh, give thanks to Hoist. And Hoist is one of those hydration drinks that, you know, if you come here to North Carolina and you go into our fridge, you know, we'll often tell you like, hey, try this drink. It's from Hoist. Hey, we've got spares for the student, whatnot. Um, people love Hoist and you can find it in all the supermarkets around here. It's one of those drinks that, you know, I get it, water is good for you, but sometimes water can just be boring. And if it's boring, you're not gonna drink it, uh, or there's a chance that you're not gonna drink it. So if you have something with some flavor, then guess what, you're probably gonna consume it, you're probably gonna stay more hydrated, and when you are in our training courses, whether it's in the high humidity of the summer, or it's in the, the dry air of the winter out in Utah, listen, you gotta stay hydrated. So Hoist is one of those companies that we've partnered with and they take care of our students and they're gonna take care of you. Now, all you gotta do is use the coupon Fieldcraft10, F-I-E-L-D-C-R-A-F-T-10, and you can get 10% off of your order. As I already mentioned, there are ready-to-drink bottles that you can find in supermarkets. Uh, you can find them here in our, our North Carolina office. One of the things that I like is the powdered drinks mix. And the reason for that is because if I'm going out into the backcountry and I'm using, you know, my water treatment method, whether that's, you know, chemical pills or I'm using a filter or whatever, well, it doesn't always get rid of the flavor and hoist does a pretty good job of masking that. So I know the water is safe to drink. I just want it to be better tasting to drink. So again, guys, uh, please check them out. I use it. A bunch of the folks here at Fieldcraft use it. My buddy, John, you know, who runs uh, the gray farm, John is probably the biggest hoist junkie I know. So check them out, go to their website, use the code fieldcraft10, you'll get 10% off of your order. Also just wanna give a shout out to all the students who have come to our classes. Guys, it's been an exciting training year. We've run a lot of different classes all over. Uh, Jared, also known as Army Mace, has been teaching up in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I've been up to SIG, I've been teaching all over out in Utah. A lot of sold out classes. I appreciate every one of you guys for coming out and training with me, training with my team, training with the good folks here at Fieldcraft. So shout out to all of you and hopefully you'll enjoy this podcast. So without further ado, let's get to it. How's it everyone? This is Nate. I get to welcome you to the podcast and tell you about our sponsor for today, which is Oakley Standard Issue. Oakley Standard Issue is a division of Oakley specifically for serving those that serve government, military, law enforcement, firefighters, and EMS, the whole lot. Qualified members are going to get exclusive access to new products, service-related discounts, that's the big one, but a whole lot more. Products they're probably already known for is the eyewear. Their eyewear is ballistic rated and industrial certified, perfect for on the job. Footwear that meets uniform regulations while on duty, which is kind of a big deal. Some of my favorite boots I've ever had are the Oakley boots that I picked up when I was in Fort Bliss, doing a ton of ruck marches there. Other accessories like gloves and backpacks. Uh, some of my favorite gloves I've ever had have also been Oakley gloves. Newly released off-duty styles and collections are definitely stuff that you wanna head over and check out. Head on over to oakleysi.com to register. Then you can take advantage of our discount code, which is fieldcraft15 at checkout to receive an additional 15% off of your first order. Again, that is oakleysiindia.com. Built to protect. Make sure you head on over and check that out. 
Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host for this episode. My name is Kevin Estella. Guys, if uh, you are listening to this podcast, number one, thank you. Uh, we get a lot of students that come to our training from the podcast, and it's always a pleasure knowing that the students in the class are listening to the awesome guests that we bring you. And you never know where you're going to meet the students uh, or where you're going to have students come in from. We've had students come to our North Carolina classes as far as Colorado. So shout out to all you listeners that are paying attention to the podcast and listening to all the stuff that we have going on. Guys, right now we're in the process of lining up 2024. I'm going to be out in Utah a whole bunch. We're going to bring a whole bunch of people out here to the North Carolina location. Uh, currently, right now, before this podcast, I was prepping for the advanced survival experience, which by the time that this podcast comes out, I will have done an after action about the advanced survival experience. So if you guys are looking for an entry level survival class all the way up through something that's going to challenge the heck out of you, come on out. I will be more than happy to put you through the ringer. Um, big shout out, by the way, to my friends up at the Six Hour Academy. Um, I'm currently working on trying to get another class up there. A lot of people have asked for land navigation in the Northeast. So please reach out to Six Hour if you want to give them a little added encouragement and pressure. Uh, saying, hey, bring that Estella guy back to Six Hour Academy. So uh, speaking of academies and places to train and whatnot, you guys probably have heard me in the past talk about my experiences that I've had at Gunsight Academy. Now, Gunsight is really one of the premier locations for firearms training in the country. And it's kind of like a mecca if you are a fan of the 1911, if you're a fan of Jeff Cooper, if you're a fan of you know anything modern handgunning, guess what? You have a place to go in Gunsight. And my personal connection to Gunsight goes back to my 250 class that I took there. And that 250 class I actually took for free because I was recommended to apply for a scholarship through the gentleman who's my guest on the podcast today. So we're going to get to that story of how I got to Gunsight through the scholarship. But before we get to that, I want to introduce this podcast guest who has such a rich history in the military, rich history in the shooting community, someone who I consider a, a good friend who has been nothing but helpful over the years. And he's someone who I think if you know anything about, uh, you know, Gunsight, or if you know anything about what he's done, you're going to probably want to tune in a little bit closer because this guy's amazing. So without further ado, I want to introduce my good friend, Freddie Blish, who, uh, we met years ago, and we'll explain that whole story. And you wait, wait till you hear this guy's uh, background. So, Freddie, welcome to the Fieldcraft Rival Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for the invitation, Kevin, and uh, the very kind comments. Uh, not sure I I deserve them, but uh, I appreciate them very much. Uh, well, I I, uh, I mean it. Know. I mean it. It you know so much of of what uh, I've done at Gunsight, so much of what I've done, you know, being able to travel with certain firearms. I mean, you have been nothing but helpful. Um, and I want to kind of share your story because, you know, mentioning to people, Hey, you know, I, I worked with Freddie Blish. Anytime that I mention your name, people are like, you know, Freddie, like it's, it's one of those things where it's like, Oh boy, I don't know if that's a, a famous or an infamous <laughs> reference, but I think we're going to get down to it. More infamous or, and, or they're like, you really know a D-list celebrity? That's not very impressive. So it's, um, I, you know, when it comes to the kudos for, uh, you know, helping not only you, but, uh, you know, without patting myself on the back, others in the industry uh, and even outside the industry, I, I have to give huge, huge um, kudos to a mentor of mine that uh, unfortunately passed away seven years ago, Pat Rogers. Uh, Pat was my 
carbine mentor, if you will, at Gunside. I did my 223 carbine and 556 carbine uh, with Pat as the range master. And then uh, when I worked for Aimpoint, uh, did a number of classes with Pat. He would always, I was always an invited guest and, you know, I would be testing optics and different things in his classes. And, and uh, you know, Pat taught me uh, a, about doing just that. You know, it, it's uh, not always about any return on investment. Uh, it's return on friendship. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, so I, I, I try to follow in Pat's footsteps uh, in that regard. You know, he is one shooting instructor I regret I never trained with. Um, you know, I've had a few friends who have received the uh, the infamous patch, <laughs> which <laughs> which I do. I, you know, we can curse on here if we want. It's the the moose cock. Um, yeah. It's one of those those things where it was like, man, that guy is legendary. Um, but I've had a number of friends who who spoke very highly of him as well. And I always tell people like, when you train. You know, obviously you train to make yourself better. You train for those experiences. You train to to hear that instructor, you know, in a different or through a different set of ears instead of just like the social media personality, the YouTube personality. You actually get to know them on a first name basis and you don't feel like you're shooting with an instructor after a while. You feel like you're shooting with a friend who's there to coach you. Um, yes. And yes. everyone, I mean, er, uh, Eric Gelhaus, who I've had on the podcast, you know, yeah. when I saw him last, he was wearing the Pat Rogers Hawaiian shirt, you know, yes. uh, yeah. that, that guy definitely is one of those shooting instructors who will be spoken about for years and years and years, uh, as are absolutely, he, yeah. he had a huge influence on, uh, you know, what I call, uh, kind of third generation, if you will, I look at, you know, kind of, uh, Jeff Cooper, um, well, I guess Pat would be first generation Jeff Cooper, probably you could say Jeff Cooper and, uh, Thel Reed, um, you know, Jack Weaver, Ray Chapman, Eldon Carl, they were the first generation. And then second generation would be, uh, you know, Pat Rogers, the Stock Brothers, Bill Jeans, Louis Auerbach, uh, Randy Kane. I mean, just you know, the list goes on that Jeff influenced, uh, you know, uh, Ken Hackathorn, mm-hmm. uh, Larry know, Vickers, Larry Vickers, uh, yeah, uh, Dave uh, Harrington. Etc. I mean, there's just a huge influence uh, from there. That would be what I would call kind of second gen. And then I'm kind of in the, that third gen that, uh, you know, um, even though I, I did train under under Jeff, uh, it was one of his last uh, 250 classes uh, at Gunsight um, when, after Buzz Mills had bought it back. It was July of 2001. Um, although I did train under Jeff, I don't really consider myself that second generation. I really more the third generation because the influence uh, was from those people that Jeff had trained, you know, the Ed and Giles Stock, uh, Pat Rogers, um, you know, the, the Louis Auerbach, uh, you know, all those were, you know, the, the guys that um, heavily influenced me and, and that kind of, uh, you know, led me on that, that path. So yeah, we're, we're, we were blessed in that we have, a lot of those guys and you know in the the infamous, infamous moosecock patch which i just <laughs> you know pat was not just a great instructor but he was also he made it fun and uh you know his uh you know new, new york irish wit uh heavy sarcasm and uh and and uh you know he could uh yeah <laughs> he, he he had uh um being able to um 
I don't mean this in a negative way, but you know, humiliate you as a student <laughs> on the line down to an art form and, and to the point where you were laughing at yourself for being such an idiot, you know, and, and that that just, uh, but he, he did it in a way that, that, uh, you know, made it fun. And, you know, you, you knew it was coming. And uh, I, I uh, it took, I was a slow learner. So it took me about six classes before I finally earned the Moosecock award. Uh, <laughs> when, when he, when he caught me uh, failing to transition when I had a stoppage and, and uh, you know, of course stepped up and said, I'll save you, Freddie. You drew his pistol and you're shooting at the target while I was, you know, stupidly trying to clear a stoppage, you know, at the seven yard line and my carbine and uh you know but so I, he, he finally caught me and uh, in a word to be a patch and i uh i would go through the with students at gunsight and uh you know even my own uh private tutorials and stuff you know do the animation that pat would do with, you know <laughs> yeah you just earned a giant fucking moose cock <laughs> you know and, uh, you know, and the, the other students would laugh and everything. And then I would show them the uh, video that Panteo Production has where Pat, you know, it's called the pro tip on loading. And, and, and he does the whole, you know, moosecock patch thing. And and, uh, and I'd show the students that video and they're like, well, where's our patch? And I'm like, well, I mean, the patch kind of died with Pat. Mm-hmm. That was Pat's patch, you know. And they were like, well, you know, we feel like we should get a patch. So I reached out to Duke Krieger, who had designed the original and uh john mccullum over at uh, swag uh combat swag and uh we we created the moosecock 2.0 so I, i've got that patch and and i so now i hand that out to students uh i uh, still show them the video still explain that this originated with pat and uh you know uh it was not um you know uh the, the original patch had to die with pat mm-hmm. uh but the, the moosecock 2.0 patch uh you know is kind of a you know uh honoring that original so it, it still kind of lives on when i was going up through the ranks of becoming a, a teacher they always told us you know sarcasm was one of the worst things that you could do to a student because you know it's negative reinforcement but i'm thinking at the same time it's it's also learning you know like yeah. and, and a good instructor as you as you said is so good at using that negative reinforcement to kind of paint the picture of something especially in the firearms community where if you do that again incorrectly that's someone's life that's someone's that that's someone's right. you know well-being at stake well you know what i find interesting is that like I, I i miss out on training with some of those people who aren't with us anymore and i wonder you know how did they deliver their instruction you know were they the the positive reinforcer were they the person that used that negative reinforcement were they the jokester who like you said would get up next to you and draw their pistol when you have a stoppage and you know like yeah. i wonder what was it like learning from that person because as i said before like you have their personality that still exists in videos and still exists in interviews and whatnot but what was it like on the line you know and and i, I think yeah. that's what people miss out on is that you know, everyone has these different personalities. You've got your personality that you are in front of your friends. You have that personality that you are uh, in front of a group of people that you don't know. Maybe you're very reserved as opposed to being open. Then you've got your your performer, you know, and some people are yeah, really yeah. good uh, at that performance. And then some people, when they start talking, you're like, that dude is, or woman or man, that they're a sage. Like, I just need to listen, yeah. you know? And then some people yeah. are very charismatic, but it's just a lot of fluff. Um, I, I wonder what it was like with those first generation instructors, some of the second gens that are still teaching, but maybe they're not quite in their prime or maybe they're, they're into new 
interest as opposed to what they used to be in when they were younger. Like, I wonder what it was like learning through and by some of yeah. those people. You know, and, and uh, those same, you know, when you, you, you take uh, instructor development classes and things and the, you know, they don't use negative reinforcement, you know, like you said, don't use sarcasm and, you know, it's detrimental to the, the students. Uh, you know, it, it, the good instructors know, you know, when they can use it, who they can use it with, who needs that, you know, more maternal positive reinforcement and, you know, and who needs kind of the, uh, you know, the, the general kick in the ass to, you know, go, you know, and, you know, Pat was uh, a master at it and, but any instructor has to make the uh, method of instruction. You know, this is a teacher, Mm. their own, they can't be somebody else. They can't pretend, you know, uh, you know, to be someone other than who they really are because your students are smart enough to read through it and they'll, they'll figure that out really quick. Um, and so, you know, you, you just, you have to be yourself. Uh, and as you know, the more time you have on the platform, the more, you know, confident you become, the more comfortable you become in, in who you, you know, need to be. And, um, that, that really becomes the hallmark, I think of, of good instructors. Um, but you know, they, they understand their students, they understand the, you know, the, the different methods that people learn, some are visual, some are auditory, some are both, you know, some are, you know, they have to apps, you know, there's no way they will learn unless they, they do it. Um, and, you know, so you, you learn that, uh, you know, everybody learns differently. Um, almost everybody kind of learns in a, in a combination of all those things. Um, and then, you know, then you just try to teach to, to those students. Uh, and then you also have to be humble enough to know that, you know what, sometimes you, for whatever reason, can't reach that student, uh, but maybe the other instructor can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you, you know, you, you're like, hey, you know what, I've told this guy five times, it, just not picking it up, uh, it's your turn. And, you know, and that, that other instructor could say the same thing, but just says it in a slightly different way and the light bulb goes on. And you just have to be humble enough to know, you know what, uh, it's, it's not that you weren't imparting the information. It was just that the student, um, couldn't receive it the way you articulated it. And it just needed someone else, uh, that could articulate it in a way that they were receptive to it. Yeah. You know, that's all of that goes into, um, becoming a good instructor, you know, is, is, uh, you know, understanding that in the time on the platform where you develop it. I think with the instructors that are out there now, there are so many who are quick to give attribution to like, Hey, I learned this push pull method of the shotgun from, yeah. um, you know, Rob Haught or Lou Auerbach, yes. right? Like when I yeah. took Kenny yeah. Strutt's class, he's like, I learned this from, from those guys. Then there are guys right. out there that will say, well, do it this way. This is my way. And it's like, what are you trying to, I know who you learned that from. I like, you know what I mean? Like there, right. there's right. definitely people out there that want to try to make something their own, or they might try to rebrand it. But when you yep. look at it, it's, it's old school techniques that, you know, are, are getting rehashed. Um, and yes. to your point, to your point about those instructors who, who, uh, are good to recognize, Hey, I can't teach you, but I can show you that this guy might be able to explain it better. Or this article might be able to explain it better. That's, uh, I should say when someone doesn't know how to do that, that's yet another red flag of an instructor where you're like, if I'm only learning their way, they want me to be like them as opposed to making me the best version of me. And 
you know, they, they, they're showing me, <laughs> they're showing me the way they know how to do it and explain it because that's where they're strongest. Maybe they can't slow it down and explain it another way because they don't have that, as you mentioned, that confidence, that time on the platform, whatever they're teaching. And an instructor wants to demo what they're good at. Now, I don't, I don't know many instructors that are like, oh yeah, let me show you something I really, really am terrible at. But you know, when someone doesn't recognize or admit willingly, like, hey, look, I'm not going to be the best person for this. That's the guy over there who can show you that. I mean, ego gets in the way of of student learning all the time, and it's not the student's right. ego; it's the instructor's. Yes. Um, yep. Yep. I want to I want to take this this back a little bit because yeah, uh, I want to talk about your upbringing and your time serving this country because I know you've done a lot. Um, so for those that aren't familiar with Freddie Blish, where did you grow up and what was childhood like? Well, I was, I was fortunate enough uh, when, when I did grow up there uh, at a time when it was still just a great state, still a beautiful state, but, uh, and you'll under, you'll understand that uh, being from New England, you know, Connecticut. Uh, I grew up in, in uh, Southern Vermont, uh, Springfield, Vermont uh, used to be the machine tool capital of the world. We made the machines and made tools. Uh, and uh, during World War II, all the way up until the 80s, I mean, it was a very, um, you know, uh, prominent uh, town in Vermont, uh, very industrious, a great, great. It was a great time to grow up there. Um, you know, uh, I was sixth generation Vermont or my family had lived in Vermont before it was a state when it was the Republic of Vermont, as a matter of fact. And, and, uh, I, I come from a, 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 a family with kind of a rich, uh, military heritage, uh, in, in our country, uh, the, the first, you know, my, a direct descendant ancestor, uh, Abraham Blish arrived in Barnstable, Massachusetts in 1638. But then from my lineage, direct, direct descendants of, I uh, had a, a forebear that was uh, fought in the French and Indian War, um, part of the Connecticut militia. He, his son fought in the uh, revolution, American Revolution, the Connecticut militia. Uh, and then uh, my great-great-grandfather rode with the 1st Vermont Cavalry in uh the uh, Civil War, um, the uh, War of Southern Aggression. We'll, let's let's name that uh, name that properly. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the people in the southern part of the country will now hate me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but in seriousness, uh, no, uh, so and that, and if you read that read about that regiment, it was in every major battle in the Civil War. They were a very renowned uh, cavalry force, uh, and I think a lot of that probably stemmed from. The fact that a lot of their officers were uh, Norwich University graduates, um, and then uh, you know through uh, you know my grandfather, uh, my father all served, and then uh, me and all my brothers have served. Um, I I uh, uh, did the longest in the sense that I you know was was, uh, was in the Marine Corps for 24 years. Um, I went to Norwich University, which is the military college of Vermont, which was a uh, the first private military college uh, in the country. I wasn't smart enough to go to one of the academies, so I, I had to pay for my abuse. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was a, it's a great school. Uh, it uh, It's the uh, originator, if you will, of ROTC, Alden Partridge, who are our founder, who had been the superintendent at West Point and had kind of a storied career. He got relieved of, of his uh, command there at the West Point and then, and then went on to found uh, 
uh, you know, a, uh, well, what became Norwich University. And, uh, and from there, he also helped found VMI and the Citadel. Uh, but uh, it was a great school. Growing up in Vermont at that time was amazing. Uh, you know, uh, we, we lived uh, in the country primarily and, um, you know, fairly rural. So, I mean, I could go out our back door and uh, walk for, you know, several miles and never, you know, run into any houses, anybody. And so, you know, growing up in the woods uh, um, was just part of my my childhood and you know hiking uh, in the woods uh navigating without compass or map just by terrain uh that just became part of uh you know my dna um we did move to arizona for a short period my grandfather had emphysema so they had moved out to wickenburg and uh, as he was approaching the end my dad moved us out there so he could be there to help uh his mom uh, and so we lived in Wickenburg for a couple of years and then moved back to Vermont for, for my high school years. Uh, but, um, so anyways, I went to Norwich university, graduated, uh, through the platoon leaders commissioning program, um, which I joined my freshman year, um, at Norwich, I uh, got a commission as a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps. And at that year, we, we had graduated six Marine officers that year. Cause normally Norwich was a big army school and, uh, air force, and for a long time, if you went to Norwich as an army officer, you would become a cavalry officer. And then after World War II, a lot of them became uh, tankers. Um, but the Marine Corps, we would produce maybe two or three officers a year. My junior at Norwich Navy ROTC came on board finally and uh, became the second largest detachment in the nation um, with Navy ROTC. I was already in the PLC program, so I, I didn't, you know, pursue a scholarship or anything like that. It was already too far down the road. Um, but uh, now we're, now Norwich produces I don't know, 20 or 30 Marine officers a year. So they, they, they do a good job of contributing to the nation uh, with that. Um, so after leaving, uh, graduating from Norwich, becoming an officer in the Marine Corps, uh, I, uh, you know, did uh, three years what I, because in the reserve PLC program at Norwich, as well as being a military college and then 21 years active duty, um, retiring in May of 07. Uh, my first class at Gunsight was July of 2001. I had already been uh, through when I was in the Marine Corps, did uh, uh, two and a half years with the Marine Security Forces in Panama. And uh, we had a vital asset recovery team. Um, and uh, we did, did a, a lot of uh, surgical shooting. And um, the when I went to Gunsight, that was 90 to 93. When I went to Gunsight, uh, taking the 250 pistol class, Colonel Cooper was the range master, and he taught all the lectures, and he would ride behind the line on his trike. Uh, but he, physically, he couldn't walk the line, but he, you know, he could ride his trike, very sharp mentally as ever. Um, but uh, Ed Stock and Ed Head and Dave Harris were the coaches, but really Ed Stock kind of ran the class um, because Colonel Cooper physically just wouldn't be able to. Mm -hmm. But um, that was my, you know, my first class at Gunside. I was a major, I was at Hickory's Marine Corps at the time, and I wanted to go. When I heard that Colonel Cooper was teaching again at Gunside, I had to go sit at the foot of the master. 
And uh, as I'm going through the class, uh, Colonel Bob Young, a retired Marine colonel, was the uh, op- operations uh, guy, director of operations. And uh, I went up to his house for lunch and I said, so my imagination or is like the 250 pistol very similar to the Marine Security Force supervisors course? And he says, it's almost identical. He goes, we, we cop when they stood up the Marine Security Forces from what was called Marine barracks, Marine debts, the Marines that were on the aircraft carriers and the battleships and then uh, the Marine barracks at the different uh, uh, stations around the country that would provide security for uh, assets that were vital to national security and special weapons. Um, they literally sent Colonel Young and another friend of mine. I met him. It was funny. We served together later. I didn't know him at the time, but uh, met him um, shortly after uh, Chris Bourne. He retired as a colonel. Chris uh, was a captain that was working for Colonel Young at the time. He Colonel Young was the G3 of the Security Force Battalion. And General Al Gray, the commandant, uh, directed that they go to every shooting school in the country and find a curriculum uh, or find curriculums that they could, you know, build a, um, a security force uh, training package off of. And Colonel Young said, we went to all the schools and gun sites was the best. And we pretty much copied it. And that included their their pistol, their their shotgun, and then submachine gun and, and all of that. And, and, uh, and so he, yeah, he said, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was. We 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 modeled the security force training after gunsight, and and uh, it worked out in my favor because it, it was like I'd I'd already been through it before, um, and uh, you know the 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 in the indoor outdoor simulators very similar to the 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 close quarter battle trainer uh, course that I had to go through in the Marine Security Forces that. Uh, I ended up getting an e-ticket uh, from Colonel Cooper, uh, expert rating from Colonel Cooper, which is pretty, pretty hard. Uh, and I won the man on man and the, the shootoff, which you you will appreciate. You understand that. Mm-hmm. And um, that was my my start on the on the path, if you will, to um, you know, kind of being an instructor. I'd already kind of dabbled in it a little bit from you know my security force days, but that really kind of pushed me in that direction, and then. Uh, took subsequent courses, the 350, uh, 223, 556, and then uh, I was invited on staff uh, in uh, 2005. I had to go through the apprenticeship program. So at Gunsight, you don't just, you know, like, oh, here's my resume, <laughs> yeah. you know, and they hire you. It's, it's you have to go to Gunsight. You have to be familiar with what we teach. Not that, you know, our way is, you know, always the best way. It's just that, uh, you know, it is a way and it is the methodology that we use. We're not, you know, we're, we're not frozen in time. We're not FUD site. Like, you know, some people have professed that have never been there. We do evolve, uh, but we don't jump on the bandwagon of the latest, greatest fad. We, we time test it and we make sure that it is something that is worth our students uh, time and, and money to learn. Um, and, uh, so we, you know, we, you, you, you go to, uh, several classes at Gunsight. You have to perform well. You've got to get either an M1 rating or an expert rating in the, in the classes. Uh, you need to take uh, two or, or three 
of the pistol classes as well as one of the long gun classes, rifle, carbine, shotgun, and perform well. Uh, and then if uh, you know, you're recognized as if you, one, have the ability to uh, shoot, but more importantly, have the personality to teach and or learn to teach, uh, then you'll get invited on staff. And then you have to work three classes for free. So, you know, you get housing provided for you, but your transportation, your food, all that, that's all on you. Are you mm-hmm. You're, you're perf- working as an intern, if you will, for three weeks and you're put in front of the students and, you know, given classes to teach in front of the students, you're critiqued on it. Uh, the good range masters uh, uh, will make sure that, you know, okay, you're going to teach these classes this week. And, you know, uh, the night before they'll have you teach that class to them uh, before you teach it to the students. So the student has no, you know, it's transparent to the student. They don't even know you're an apprentice. They, we don't want that. I mean, you're paying a lot of money to be there. Uh, they don't need to have you, you know, have, a, have an instructor screw up in front of them and then have to have that corrected uh, when, you know, uh, it should just be, you know, completely flawless to the to the student. They, 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 they shouldn't even know that that person was an apprentice until the end of the week. That's That's our goal if we do it right. Um, and so, uh, so anyways, I've been on staff at Gunsight since 2005. I've been a range master since 2008 or nine, I think. I forget when it was exactly when I came on board. Is I think it was 2009 uh, when I became a range master. Um, and uh, I taught two to three weeks a year uh, up until 2019 um, when uh, – uh, um, closed row bar and then semi-retired and um, now I'm, I teach one to three weeks a month up at gun site depending upon their need and and all that and and uh, I kind of enjoy the semi-retirement life now I, I when I'm not teaching up there I have um, some uh, private classes that I teach for uh, some church security organizations um, but then the rest of the time is mine and I, and I enjoy that. So just to, to kind of, uh, fill in just a couple blanks that we're missing on. Um, so you spent 24 years in the Marine Corps and when, when did you officially retire and, and what rank did you retire oh, at? I retired in May of 2007 as a Lieutenant Colonel. Um, and then I, I went to work for Aimpoint as their, uh, director of military business development for four mm-hmm. years and then okay. worked for LaRue. Uh, tactical uh, director of government business uh, development for about a year and a half, and then uh, did a State Department contract, and then uh, went to work for Robbie Barkman at Robar, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, when I we, we closed that all down, uh, then you know I um, just semi-retired and and uh, um, do the training at Gunsight and, and my own, but I also. In that time frame, after leaving um, Aimpoint and LaRue, uh, designed a uh, combat optic tool, combat sight tool, and a hunting optic tool for, you know, people, you know, that they can use to tighten the mounts on their optics, adjust the windage elevation on their optics, uh, um, you know, both iron sights, you know, depending on the tool, we'll do just optics or one can do iron sights and optics. Uh, so, um, that, 
that uh, has kept me, um, you know, pretty engaged. Hey y'all, Amber L here. And today I want to talk to you about teeth. So I know this seems like a, an off topic here, but it's actually not. When you are focused on health and wellness as a priority in your self-reliant lifestyle, like I do in my home, your teeth really do get a spotlight. And so ever since my kids were little, I wanted an option for fluoride, a safer alternative than fluoride, because I knew that fluoride was not the best solution for what I wanted in my kids in their prophylactic lifestyle, which means preventative lifestyle. And so I settled on a substance called nanohydroxyapatite, and I've used it for years. It's actually a biomimetic substance, which means it has the same material in it that's found in your teeth and your bones, and now has been touted by the American Dental Association as a safe alternative to fluoride. It even has medical applications outside of dentistry, and it's been proven to be as effective as, as fluoride at remineralizing your teeth. So we found this brand called No BS, literally only the good stuff, No BS, and we are giving you 15% off your first one month supply of No BS. It's a small one month jar that you use to brush your teeth. So I know it's not paste in a tube, it's a jar that has the na nanohydroxyapatite that you use on a brush to clean your teeth. You can find out more by visiting www.betterbiome.com and using the code FIELDCRAFT. That's F-I-E-L-D-C-R-A-F-T. If you're interested in learning more about how to have a prophylactic lifestyle with your oral health and you want an alternative to fluoride, definitely go check them out. You know, one of the one of the marks of a good leader is, you know, when you talk to the people who served under that leader and you say, well, what were they like? And I'll tell you, you know, I know you, you said you were, you retired as a Lieutenant Colonel and, you know, you mentioned, you know, some of the service that you did. Well, I was on a ride along not too long ago with a friend of mine who said, Hey, come out. I'm a forestry cop. And we were just started talking and he's a former Marine and your name came up and he goes, you know, Freddie Blish, you know, he's like, I love that man. I got to tell you that man is like, he, he could not stop talking about you. And I had to just sit back and just listen to him, you know, go on and go on and go on. And I'm like, well, what was it? You know? And he said, he said, if there was ever a Marine that took care of his other Marines, it was Freddie Blish. He said that man was absolutely imperative to our success overseas. And he said, he's like, I would do anything for that guy. You know, he, he, he knew what we needed. He got us what we needed. And he's like, I'll never forget that for the rest of my life, you know? And he said that that was, that was something that just defined your character. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, sitting here very humbled, uh, by his comments. I remember when you, you, you emailed me and told me about that. And I remember him and I remember those Marines and I'll tell you the, the, uh, you know, the adage that I would always use with them is, you know, it's all my, my leaders of Marines that I, I would tell them, look, you're, you're, you're number one, your primary mission as a leader of Marines is to accomplish the mission, fight, survive, and bring your Marines home alive. Uh, and, uh, you know, everything else is secondary, all the, you know, PC bullshit that, uh, the military now, you know, teaches. And even we were, forced to teach some of that shit when I was on active duty. It's like, you know, that's just, that is a, in my opinion, a little waste of your time because if you're doing everything right as a Marine or soldier or airman, or you know, just as a human being, 
you know, you, you don't need to be taught how to be sensitive to, you know, someone else. Uh, you know, you, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll just do it. Now, that doesn't mean you won't use rough language or you won't, you know, make a smart ass or sarcastic comment that, you know, could be construed as, you know, hurtful, but, you know, but, but they, you know, they know the difference between like someone that is just going to blow smoke up their ass and patronize them and someone who really wants to care, truly cares about them mm-hmm. and wants them to, you know, uh, be successful at accomplishing the mission and getting them home. Um, you know, but we, we, we waste so much time on nonsense and not enough time on doing what's really essential. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, that's what he, we've talked about this before. My, my buddy who was on, on the, on that ride along with, we were just saying like, sometimes the truth hurts and it doesn't matter how it's delivered. As long as your statements are true, there's nothing wrong with speaking the truth. Right. And that's a Jeff Cooper thing, yeah. you know, speak the truth. And sometimes right. your audience is not going to like the truth, but they can't deny it, you know? Right. And, and that just says something about someone's character. Are they speaking truthful or are they trying to you know, create a whole bunch of fluff, you know, and try yeah. to work their way around saying what needs to be said. Um, yep. you know, I, I was not in the Marine Corps. I was not anyone when I met you other than a writer. And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be in Arizona. Um, I just want to come by the shop and take a, take a look at the shop. And, uh, this was after I had message of Robar when you're at Robar and, uh, I was heading up to Alaska in 2016. And at the time, at the mm-hmm. time I, uh, I messaged the company and the company was like, yeah, you know, if you pay for the parts, we will build the rifle for you. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And for whatever reason, I think I had a, a friend who worked at the Remington custom shop and he's like, no, 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 don't worry about them. Like, I'll get you a rifle. Well, that rifle performed terribly. So I remember <laughs> the following year, I was like, hey, I'm going to South Africa. And, you know, when I met you, I was like, yeah, I'm going to South Africa. I'd like to to get a rifle. You know, does the offer still stand? And you're like, Absolutely. And you specked out a Robar Precision Hunter that I've used in Africa. I've used it all over. And that is my favorite rifle that I own. And it was it was just amazing to to meet you, to to talk to you. I mean, you're like, well, if you're going to Alaska next year, I gotta make sure that you have the the right guns, you know? And you you NP3'd one of my my revolvers. And I was like, this guy is just amazing, you know? So um that aspect of your character where you're like, Hey, make sure that they they're equipped with what they need is it, it hasn't gone anywhere. You know, that's, that's still you, um, because of COVID, um, actually, no, no, no. I take that back. This is like 2018, 2019. You're, you said to me, you're like, Hey, uh, next time you come out here, you should go to Gunsight." And, uh, yeah. I remember yeah. you're like, do you know about the scholarship? And I said, what, what are you talking about scholarship? You're like, here, this is the name of the scholarship. You're going to put me down as a reference. And I, I put you down as a reference and I wrote, it was a 500 word essay and it was the Jeff Cooper Legacy Foundation. And yeah. I wrote about being a history teacher. I wrote about how my grandfather defended his family in the Philippines with a 1911, how I am a training junkie and I, I love training at the SIG Academy and this and that. And I want to be able to speak intelligently and and I want to continue my training. And next thing you know, I receive a letter and it says, hey, you've won a spot in the next 250 class. Well, that was in 2020. And the interesting thing with the timeline with you, Gunsight, Fieldcraft, I had to go, or I went to that Gunsight class. And then a day later, I'm at Fieldcraft teaching. And it was 
it was one of those things where like, it was in the middle of COVID, I'm making this decision whether I want to stay a teacher or I want to join a company where I'm teaching survival skills and land nav and all this. So I go to Gunsight, I take the class, they're running two 250 courses back to back, side by side. I end up winning the student shoot off. I'm like, yes, this is amazing. And now like mm -hmm. I'm riding on high and I go over to Mike Glover's house. I meet Mike Glover's mom and you know, I'm eating steaks with the rest of the, the, the team over there. And I'm like, this is where I need to be. Like, I just won that event. I just had an awesome experience in the desert. I'm, I'm loving this group of people. And I don't know if I would have made that decision so easily if I didn't go to Gunsight. Um, but it was just kind of like a, like symbolic, like, Hey, I, I, I did this now I'm going to do this and I'm just going to keep going. Um, that foundation, my buddy, David Cagle won the scholarship. My sister yep. won the scholarship. Yep. Um, now my buddy Jerry Young, who's our one of our instructors here, he is going in March out to Gunsight. He won the nice. scholarship, so he's trying to figure out what 1911 to carry, and and I'm trying to get him one. <laughs> um, but he's like, I can't go to Gunsight and not carry a 1911. He's like, you carried a 1911. I know that they've got the new, you know, Glock Gunsight pistol, but he's like, I got to go with a 1911. So, oh yeah, yeah. you got it. You got it. What's funny is that. Uh, <laughs> You'll laugh about this, but so my 250, 350, and 499 class, and both the 250, 350, I got uh, expert rating and won the man on man with both both those classes. 499, I was an instructor, so as instructors, you know, we we they'll let us shoot the the, the shoot off, but we're not allowed to win it. Meaning that you know, if even if we win it, we the person who comes in second to us or whatever mm -hmm. will be the winner. But uh, you know, we don't get graded anymore, which I kind of think that's kind of like they should still grade the instructors. I mean, I think it's kind of foolish not to. But my point being with all this whole story is that uh, so both 250, 350 and 499, I shot with a Glock 21. So a 45 ACP <laughs> Glock 21. And when I won the shoot off in the 250 class, uh, Colonel Cooper, I didn't hear him say it. My friends who were in the class with me heard him say this. Looked at uh, the instructors. Hmm, maybe there is something to the Glock. <laughs> really? Now, I don't know if he would have said that if it had been a you know like a Glock 17 or a 19 that was a nine mil. But because it was a 45, maybe maybe he would. Uh, but I haven't said that. I, I I'm a huge 1911 fan. I love the pistols. Uh, and uh, there is no trigger better. Uh, you I can be sloppy on a 1911 trigger and and, and it, it, it doesn't show up on the paper as, as readily as if I am not, if I'm sloppy on my Glock trigger or any other striker fired gun trigger, it shows on the target. It's just, um, there's just a lot to that. But you, what's interesting though, and is that while I still have 1911s that are 45 and I still got my Glock 21, uh, I've got one, two, three, four, so I'm not missing another one in there. At least four 1911s in nine millimeter now, and uh, I, they are uh, they're they're so much fun to shoot because the recoil is uh, not as you know uh, as as much as a 45. Uh, carry a few more rounds, if you will, and uh, they're they're so so. Tell your friend if you get a 1911, there's no shame in bringing a 1911 to nine millimeter. You know, some will say John Moses Browning is rolling over and Jeff Cooper's rolling over, but you know, the reality is, is the argument between 9mm 45 debate is over. Yeah, with good uh, ammo. Good quality hollow point 9mm ammo is, uh, you know, uh, is as 
almost as effective as the 45. And, and the reality is, is that handgun, uh, you know, uh, performance, uh, terminal ballistic performance, you know, is not that stellar on humans. Anyways, we carry handguns because they're convenient, but you know, uh, if, if you knew you were going into harm's way and you were definitely getting in a fight, then you'd want to carry a, at least a, a carbine, but preferably a rifle or a shotgun. But, you know, uh, but yeah, tell your friend that uh, uh, 1911 is a, is uh, not a bad way to go, but don't be afraid of, you know, some of the good quality striker fired guns. Or uh, I, I know that it had a kind of a, a storied uh, beginning, but, uh, you know, if you can't get a staccato, the Springfield Armory Prodigy, I've got the four and a quarter inch Prodigy I've mm-hmm. been shooting now for, uh, I think I'm coming up on, well, almost a yeah, it's almost a year now, and uh, I've got several thousand rounds through it, and it has performed flawlessly. I ran it through the 10.8, Hilton Yams 10.8 performance, 1911 performance check, um, no no stoppages. Uh, um, I know there was more issues with the five-inch model, but the four-and-a-quarter-inch uh, not had any issues. Uh, so that would be uh, something for him to consider if he doesn't. You know, you're looking for a 1911. Yeah, there are a lot of guys out there now that are making that transition to the 1911 with the with the nine millimeter chambering because, you know, even Bill Wilson, uh, I podcasted him last year and he said that he enjoys shooting the nine mil out of the 1911 more than anything else. And, you know, that gun just, as you mentioned, very little recoil. It doesn't feel like it has a trigger. It feels like it has a button um, because yes. of that, that single action. And the fact that you can double stack it and carry the same quantity of ammo as a, as a polymer pistol or a strike, you know, as a Glock, it's pretty compelling. Um, I just know that the, the Joker in me is always like, well, you know, you carried the, the 45 to the class, you know, you had the hammer and then I know the history of calling the, the nine mil, the double tap, as opposed to the, uh, the hammer, um, (laughs) you know, so I've got to give Jerry a a little bit of crap if he does do that, but you know, at the same time, I know he's going to do so well, uh, at that event. Um, now something that I want to, I want to bring up just because, you know, it's another connection to you and it's the last time I saw you, but there was something that you did at this event, which is the Gunsight alumni shoot last year. And I know just yesterday yeah. they wrapped up or two days ago, they wrapped up the, uh, the one for this year, which I couldn't make it to. But, um, I saw you last year, we talked and I was like, you know, I just want to shake your hand again. Thank you so much for everything you've done for me over the years. And, you know, I, I showed you, you know, my silver my silver Raven. And I was like, yeah, you know, it was just so good to be back at, at, at the Academy. Um, well, the next time I saw you that weekend was when they were about to do the, uh, the speakers and the raffle and whatnot. And you came out in your, your dress uniform and you folded the flag and you talked about the, the sim, the symbolism behind folding the flag. Now, Whenever we run a class here, we always say the Pledge of Allegiance. We always bring a folded flag with us. And mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. frustrates me to no end when I see people disrespect the flag to this day. You know, when I was a teacher, if yep. kids didn't want to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, I would say to them in class, I'd say, guys, I get it. That is your freedom of expression. You can decide to sit if you want. Understand that I don't have to like it and I don't have to tell you I don't like it. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I, it bothered me to no end when kids would want to be on their phone or they'd want to you know, not talking, be like, you guys need to be respectful to me while I pledge. I don't care if you don't want to pledge, but understand I don't have to like it. You know, 
Can you talk a little bit about the the symbolism of flag folding? And can you talk a little bit about just basic flag etiquette that everyone should abide by? Oh, you know, that's such a great point. Um, you know, the uh, Charlie McNeese, who is uh, one of our senior range masters, he, Jerry McCown, Bill Halverson, Mara Marchman, I think are our most senior range masters now. And, you know, they're in their, their mid, late 70s. And so they're, you know, they're, they're slowly, you know, uh, you know, they're, they're, they, they, they don't teach as many classes anymore. They're kind of, you know, uh, semi-retired, if you will, as instructors, meaning that, you know, they may teach a couple classes a year, but they're still very uh, revered because, you know, they taught with and under Cooper. Um, and so they, you know, that, that kind of legacy is very, very much, a, that's one of the things I think I like about Gunsight is very similar to Marine Corps. We're very big on tradition, understanding history, uh, and understanding where things came from, uh, the significance behind it, the why, if you will, um, which, you know, uh, helps you realize that, you know, there, you know, a lot of these people that were, you know, like you said earlier, you know, uh, try to make it sound like they created it when in fact, you know, it, it goes back to even further before gunsight in a lot of cases. And, and so that tradition is, is very strong. Uh, I, every time I teach with them, uh, I'm always talking to them and, and uh, discussing, you know, uh, you know, uh, what various, not just Cooper, but other instructors that, you know, you know, Clint Smith and others that Robbie Barkman and others that were there that, uh, what was it, you know, what was it like? What, how, you know, how was, how, how were, uh, these individuals as instructors and, and stuff. And there, you know, there's a lot of humorous stories. There's, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, good lessons learned and things, but going to your point with a flag, uh, so Charlie McNeese, uh, had discovered a, um, uh, document that kind of discusses the 13 folds of the flag during the flag folding ceremony. And he would read that to his uh, classes at the end of the week, you know, when he, you know, graduation. And so it, it, uh, Dave Hartman, who's the training director uh, said, Hey, let's incorporate that into the uh, uh, gunsight alumni shoot Um you know, we've got a, we usually have a, a table for the missing man, mm -hmm. both law enforcement, military, or, you know, student that, that may, uh, you know, have distinguished themselves well, um, as, as a human being. And so we have that, that, you know, the, the POW, MIA, MIA down police officer, civilian, et cetera, table. Right. And so we, we want to fold the flag at the end of the day. Uh, and Charlie would read the um, significance of each fold as Colonel Randy Watt. And now there's another great uh, individual if you want to interview somebody. Is, uh, Randy is the retired chief of police Ogden, Utah, but also is the retired uh, group commander for 19th Special Forces Group. And um, several tours in Afghanistan uh, just guys, just a phenomenal individual and instructor. And, you know, just, I get a huge respect for Randy. Um, so Randy, uh, and I would do the folds, um, this year, both Randy and I couldn't be there for gas match. So I haven't heard, uh, how, how it went this year. They, they were able, I think, pull in 
I think Guy Corsi was it was a retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel. I'm not sure who the other guy was to do it. Um, so, uh, but anyways, uh, it, it, the the significance of young people or all Americans for that matter of giving proper reverence, if you will, to our symbol, our nation's symbol, our republic symbol. Uh, I think it, it's sad that we've lost that. Uh, I'm sad that we don't emphasize that more uh, as uh, parents and as uh, educators, because, you know, the, the, there are so many people now, it's, it, for whatever weird reason, it's, you know, it's uh, this great, uh, you know, um, now the word I'm looking for is, is you know, I don't know, uh, they, they think it's great that it, to denigrate mm -hmm. the success of our republic, that, oh, you know, we... You know, why do we do that? We were evil. Well, okay, yeah, we weren't perfect. Sure, we, we, we had a, we had to fight a, a major war with ourselves to help correct things. We're still correcting things. We're there's nobody perfect, and there's no uh, country that's perfect. I mean, our constitution, as written by our founding fathers, is is phenomenal. Did it have a few flaws? Sure, it did, but it gave us a means so that we could fix those flaws, uh, and it wasn't through activist courts either it was through an amendment process so that it could be done you know wisely um and you know so anytime that we can focus on a you know uh, the constitution and in its original form not the live not that living document that uh, a lot of uh, lefties want to push and they've been pushing for the last 50 years well it's just a living document no, it only lives if it's the amendments are done properly. But otherwise, it, it says what it says and it means what it means. And, you know, don't be, you know, uh, trying to use activist judges to convolute it. But where that takes us is back again to the symbol, our, our, our flag. Uh, there are a lot of brave men and women, um, both, you know, in our military and law enforcement and civilian communities that have paid the ultimate price for what that, stand, that flag stands for and to, to to desecrate it or to not give it its proper reverence is just it's sad yeah i mean i i, I spent a, a majority of my life fighting so that others would have the right to protest what i you know me and what i did and and all that i get that but at the same time you know i the, the scene in Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan, that I love to share with young people is, you know, when Tom Hanks's character, Captain Miller, you know, uh, grabs, uh, you know, um, Private Miller, you know, of course, played by Matt Dillon, uh, Matt, I mean, Matt Damon, uh, Matt Damon, uh, that... Um, he, you know, he, he looks at him as he's dying and he says, earn this, mm -hmm. earn this, you know, you, an entire squad of soldiers, Rangers just gave their life for you. So you could live. Yeah. Earn this. The line that, kill, you know, the line that kills me there. It. Don't be painting your hair purple and bullshit. <laughs> 
You know, no, go and be a productive citizen for our republic. You remember? And, do you remember and, the, and the follow-up line? Do you remember the follow-up line when he's the older man, he's at the grave? And I he do. And he asks his wife, he's like, am I a good man? Yes, exactly. Oh, man, that one hits yes. me hard. And, and, and his wife is looking at him like, yes, of course, not understanding the significance of, of that question, mm-hmm. you know, where he was like, did I, did I really, was I a good man? Did I earn the right to live a life and have a family and children at, at the expense of all these other people that gave their lives for me? That's that I, I don't know. I mean, if, if someone can't, if that doesn't resonate with somebody, mm-hmm. then they, in my, they must not have a conscience. I don't, I, I can't imagine that they would uh, not have a little bit of fear and trembling when you kind of explain that to them. But, you know, either that or they're just so jaundiced and so, you know, callous that they, you know, they still, you know, yeah. uh, want to believe the, uh, the nonsense that they've been, you know, the Kool-Aid they've drank. To your point about the the symbol of the flag, you know, and what it represents, um, and speaking to another movie or scene that really just stands out to me, you know, there's that uh, HBO miniseries, Band of Brothers. And there's yeah. a scene where uh, I think he was, uh, I, th- well, I think he might've been a Colonel at the time. Colonel Winters is in the Jeep and he sees the commanding officer that was trying to, you know, you know boot him basically. Yeah walk by right. and he kind of turns his head and he goes, he goes, Lieutenant, Lieutenant, he goes, you uh, salute the rank, not the man. And yeah. it's same thing with the flag where I will absolutely pledge allegiance to that flag because I am, I, I'm respectful of the flag, even if I'm not mm-hmm. respectful of the politicians that say that they represent it today, because I'm Correct. remembering what it stood for and I'm remembering all the good that it right. has done. Um, right. and, and, and to your point about, you know, when people want to, you know, it's kind of like the trendy thing to make fun or poke fun at the United States or whatever, like today we're recording this on Columbus day, or I'm sorry, indigenous people's day. And I heard, I heard someone <laughs> yeah. on the news today say, well, Columbus enslaved others. And I said, well, you clearly don't know your native American history. Cause I'm pretty sure yes. the native Americans were pretty damn good at enslaving others too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, not to, to distract you from your point yeah. you're making, but I, I, I've had the same argument with others where, you know, they'll, they'll profess, well, and, you know, it wasn't until the Spanish arrived that, you know, uh, slavery and all this other stuff was introduced to North America. Uh, do you not understand <laughs> uh, the history of so-called indigenous people in, the, in, the, in North America, Latin America? I mean, and, uh, no. <laughs> You know, when you've got the Mayans and the Aztecs cutting people's hearts out from the other tribes they would capture, and you've got the North American tribes doing the same thing to each other. I mean, come on. It's, you know, complete ignorance of history. Yeah, it it, it drives me crazy. But, you know, I that's why I think my circle of friends, my really close friends is really small, because there's only a handful of people that understand why I think what I think. And it just goes back to history and, and the way people should be and you know, for anyone that's saying, well, you should think this way and that way. It's like, no, I don't think so. I, I'm pretty good thinking the way I am right now. It's, it's gotten me this far. Um, yeah. But yeah, there, there's just so much history that's out there. And that was one of the other things I liked about going to the academy. And I liked about, you know, talking to so many people over there, like all the ranges are named for, for, you know, Medal of Honor winners or, you know, war heroes. And it's so, 
there's something about when we train, you know, understanding where things came from, you know, the person that invented it or, or, or made it popular. Like there's something that is so important about connecting to the history of it. And why do we still do it? It's not, as you said, it's not just that we do it. It's the why it's, it's also the when and, and how was it used at some point in history? So, mm-hmm. you know, I applaud you for, for continuing the tradition that, you know, your mentors, you know, showed you, and now you get to share it with others, whether it's the Moosecock 2.0 or, you know, telling people to carry uh 1911's chamber to nine it, all of it is good stuff. So where can people, uh, find you? How can they contact you? How can they follow what you're doing? Because I think, and we didn't even talk about this, but we could, I really like what you're doing where you're tracking the firearms that people are carrying, the optics that they're using stoppages. Like you're putting out some really good data, like hard data that you can look back through your content. And when people say, well, that always happens. No, 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 no. Look at Freddie's data. Like that's what happened. You know, like there's something to be said there. And I think that's another evolution of training. So how can people find what you're putting out? How can they follow what you're doing? I, uh, I don't have it. I wish I did. I, it, I probably should, uh, start posting again on lightfighter.net. Um, where I started doing the, the reason I started doing it, again, it was my mentor, Pat Rogers, Pat, used to post all of that information on, uh, he would do after actions uh, every day, you know, cause he would, when he wasn't, a, he never did the ones at gunsight because again, he was teaching for the brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he felt that he, he didn't, didn't or shouldn't uh, do it because sometimes it's controversial. You know, people, some manufacturers would get upset and all that. Uh, and so because of that, he, I think he, he didn't want any attribution to Gunsight for it. Uh, but for his own classes, EAG Tactical, he would, for his three-day classes, every day he would post an AR uh, with pictures and everything uh, of, you know, what went on in the class, what things was working, not working, things breaking, not breaking. And uh, I, it became so helpful because this was right at the time – you know, the assault weapons ban had ended. You had all of these fly-by-night companies that were making ARs, uh, and many of them were, you know, didn't understand, uh, you know, the technical specifications to, to how to build one properly. Mm-hmm. And so you had a lot of, you know, as Pat called them, Franken guns, and then you had, you know, what he he had used a tier system to describe different, you know, makes. You know, so he had tier two and three guns that were, you know, basically hobbyist guns that, you know, if you went, you're just shooting 50 rounds on a weekend at the local range, you know, yeah, that gun would serve you fine. You're never going to see the problems with it. But when you took it through a class of gun site uh, where you're shooting over a thousand rounds in five days, hard and, and very, you know, hard, dry, dusty conditions, or, you know, in the three day classes, Pat taught, you're going to see those guns uh, have failures. And Pat would record that. And that included optics. That included, you know, uh, accessory equipment, slings and magazines and, you know, all that. So it kind of, when when Pat died, a lot of that died with him. And Pat passed away in May of 2016. And uh, it, 
the benefit when Pat was doing that over, you know, period of, you know, 10 years or so was that so much good information was put out there that you began to see students coming to classes, serious students coming to classes with good gear. Mm-hmm. And Pat even reported on it that, you know, the, the failures with optics and guns and all that stuff was became almost non-existent in a lot of classes because of the quality of the, the you know, the, uh, the gear and guns and optics and stuff they were using. But one of the things I noticed at Gunsight is after Pat had passed, that more and more of that stuff started showing up again. The, old, the bad stuff, the, the kind of, you know, uh, third tier uh, quality stuff. And so, uh, you know, Ken Campbell, the CEO of Gunsight's, uh, very cordial and allowing me to write up, uh, you know, little ARs on the classes and include the gear. And, you know, and I, I try to be diplomatic about it, but I'm also being honest. I, you know, uh, I don't, you know, anybody, any manufacturer can make something that fails is what they do about it. That is important. Mm-hmm. You know, is it a one-off or if it's a repeated thing, then what are they doing to fix it? Um, and that's important. Uh, Eric Gelhouse is doing it as well. Yes. He with is. the classes. With, his, with his red so dots. Good. Um, uh, we're posting it primarily on our Facebook pages and uh, the Gunsight Alumni Group Facebook page. So if someone w- if wants to find those, they'll probably be in the, the easiest way for them if they're on Facebook is to go to the Gunsight Alumni Facebook page. Uh, if they send me a Facebook uh, friend request, uh, I if I don't know that person or haven't had you know taught them or or they're they're not friends with a number of people that I know, then I I'm kind of reluctant to mm-hmm. add them. <laughs> but uh, but at the gun the Gunside alumni page, I'll I'll repost stuff there. Also, uh, where they can go, uh, another place where I post stuff is on my. Um, it's a Facebook page, Combat Optic Tool, um, and I post I'll, I post stuff there as well. Um, and if they need to reach me, they can reach me at Freddie at Combat Sight Tool, C O M B A T S I G H T T O O L dot com. Facebook page is a Combat Optic Tool. Long story, that was the first tool I created, and then the Combat Sight Tool was kind of the the creation that um, got a, a NSN with the military and, you know, uh, they're all now have a patent number and everything, but uh, you can, they can find that information at those locations uh, as well as um, on, uh, uh, they can email me if they, they need to, but I, I, I probably should start posting those either in blogs on my websites, uh, combat site tool, uh, dot com. Um, and, uh, that's what I should do. Um, and, uh, and not be lazy and, uh, and probably post it there, but I, I, I should probably start putting up some AARs over at lightfighter.net, which again, that used to be a tremendous source of information, uh, for, for individuals to go to find it. Uh, that's the downside of like Facebook is the search engine is, isn't, that great. Mm-hmm. Whereas like with you, you, if you went to like lightfighter.net, uh, you know, you did a, you went on their search engine and man, you could find just a, such useful information about, you know, uh, training classes that people went to 
to gear and equipment that was working, not working. Fantastic. Well, Freddie, this has been fun. Uh, a lot of memory lane stories there, a lot of, a lot of good history. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to cross paths again at some point. I know whenever Absolutely. I, I can, I want to get back out there. I put in the request for professional development. They're like, well, if you could go anywhere to become a, a better instructor for field craft, where'd you want to go? And one of the first things I said is like, I want to take the gun sight shotgun class. Like I've taken the shotgun class with yeah. a bunch of folks. I want to, I want to take gun sights. So, uh, you know, hopefully I'll, yeah. I'll see you there. Um, otherwise, you know, definitely we'll, we'll cross paths. I'm sure at yeah. the next gas match or something. If you do the 260 shotgun, uh, that's a three day class. Um, then they have a, a, a two day class after called the uh, shotgun application and tactical problems. Mm -hmm. Um, that is where you're going to do a number of indoor and outdoor simulators with the shotgun. So you're going to get, uh, you, you know, your, your, your 260 is primarily square range, uh, you know, training, but then the, uh, the tactical problems, that's where you're going to get those simulators. It used to be 260 used to be a five day class. And it was all encompassing, but, uh, a lot of students just, um, the wear and tear on their bodies <laughs> from running a, you know, the hammer of God, the gauge <laughs> for five days, uh, just was kind of, we recognized that was uh, kind of a hard thing for them. And so they, they broke it into two, two separate kind of classes. So those that have the physical endurance, yeah, I always recommend do both uh, same week. And if those that don't, then, you know, do the 260 and come back later for the two-day tactical problems. Uh, another great class for you to take. Did you already take the 270 rifle? I, think I, you I did. did, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I took yeah. it with the, uh, the Steyr scout rifle and I just saw that yeah. Steyr is producing the scout rifle 2.0, which I think yes. has like one that. little, yeah. one little section of M lock on the forend. Um, yep. But aside from that, I mean, I don't think they changed much about the rifle. Like it's they, they did a pick rail, full length pick rail, mm -hmm. uh, and then the other thing that a uh, number of people and I, I'm kind of in agreement with them on was that instead of that, uh, uh, it's kind of for the uh, the sling attachments. Instead of doing uh, QD cups, mm. they they kept the old one, and, and I'm kind of in agreement with people. They should have probably gone to QD attachment cups, but yeah, because those uh, attachments are expensive. Like, oh, and, and yeah, they're hard to find. Yeah. They're, expensive. They're, they're easy to snap if you're not careful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you could retrofit it for the QD cups, but it's just, it should come that way now. You know, if they were truly have upgraded, they should have gone that way. Yeah. I but, agree. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, there, uh, I mentioned that Dave Cagle is in, uh, there's a group about eight to 10 people. Talk to David. Uh, it would be David, Cecil Birch, Daryl Bulky, Wayne Dobbs, uh, uh, Gary Greco. I'm trying to think of a, a whole bunch of guys that uh, they put together a special 270 rifle class. It'll be uh, uh, me, Eric Elhouse, and uh, Lou Gosnell uh, teaching it. Um, so if you wanted to do the 270 again, that would be a fun one to do. <laughs> would, oh my gosh. You're gonna have a, it's going to be a, a stacked class of guys. Uh, Hitters. Uh, yeah. Talk, talk to David. He'll tell you the dates. I don't want to put it on the air, uh, but uh, it uh, it'll be that would be a fun class for you to, to, to do. That's for sure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, even though it'd be a repeat, it'd still be a fun class. But, but you know, what? here's the thing. Like when people say, oh, you're, you're taking the class again. It's like you think you can learn everything there is to know right like in one time. I no. mean, when I when I used to do more with martial arts, uh, 
you know, we would tell people like, hey, we're going through this new, we're going through the block of instruction on say, uh, I don't know, let's, let's just say that there, there are various types of kicks and people are like, but you already know yeah. how to do those kicks. It's like, yeah, but you're seeing it with a new set of eyes, right? Or, you know, we're going through a, a new block of instruction on, you know, uh, escaping from restraints right so right. but you see right. it with a new set of eyes as your skill develops so yeah i would take yes. 270 again but have i learned anything since absolutely so yes yeah, yeah. I, I don't get it, it when people say oh you're taking it again of course yeah why aren't yeah. you yeah i mean you know this as a teacher that you know your students are going to typically retain about 40 percent of what you teach them mm -hmm. so you know when you take a, a class again i mean you're you're, like you said, you're, you're seeing it now uh, with a different level of experience. And so now you're, you're, you're going to pick up on the nuances that you missed before. It's just like watching the same movie over and over again. You pick up on new things, you know, that uh, maybe you forgot it or maybe you just didn't notice it. But now you're different level of experience. Now you pick up on it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, there's value in it. Absolutely. For sure. Well, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us today. And I hope you guys that are listening at home got something out of this one because I know I did. So uh, please follow Freddie. Uh, please get yourself into some training classes, whether you train with me or you train with, you know, the rest of the Fieldcraft guys or the Gunsight guys or any number of the good schools that are out there. Just get training, right? I mean, it's so, so easy to, to sign up for a class. And it's different than just going to the range and turning money into noise, you know, get some formalized training. So Freddie, thank you so much for joining us. I, I agree with you completely. And I would tell your listeners that, uh, you know, I mean, the classes you're teaching, I, you know, you were talking about, uh, you know, uh, the land navigation and, and stuff like that. I'll tell you, you know, outside the military, there's few, few places that people can learn how to do that correctly. And I would encourage them to, to go do that. And uh, we need to talk, Kevin, because uh, maybe we can do something where, you know, get you out to, uh, to gun site to do something like that. We, we, we used to have a, a a guy that had been in the uh, uh, Rhodesian Zealous Scouts that used to do a man tracking class up at Gunsight. But, uh, you know, having a, a not only a land navigation, but game tracking class would would probably be something that, uh, you know, they would probably be good about maybe having, you know, someone like you come and do. So, yeah, let's talk. Yeah, let's sign off here and let's continue this conversation offline. Guys, if you want to know more about that, you're just going to have to stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so guys thanks so much for listening this has been kevin estelle with the fieldcraft survival podcast